Let's open our Bibles in this second assembly to Genesis chapter 12, where we'll finish a short review of Abraham's life to help make Romans chapter 4 easier to understand the arguments that are made there by Paul to those that had Abraham as their father, to those who had been circumcised and knew that Abraham was circumcised, to those that held the law of the religion of Abraham and Moses in its dispensation given on Mount Sinai. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. When you're hoping for something, you don't have its substance yet, because the reason you're hoping for it is it's still in the future, and you don't have it in your possession yet. But faith brings it into your possession, because faith is that confidence that God will keep His promises. So when God has promised you something, though you don't see it yet, or you don't have it yet, it's the evidence of it, it's the substance of it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Abraham was very confident of heaven. Brother Gerald was showing several of us from Hebrews chapter 11 that he was just a sojourner in the land of promise. Stephen, in his sermon in Acts chapter 7, would say he never had any so much ground to put the sole of his foot on. But he was very confident of heaven because it was the substance of heaven that he had by faith. It didn't bother him that he wandered around in tents for a hundred years from the age of 75 to 175. He knew heaven was there. And the reason we're having this service This assembly and this sermon is for you to be like your father, faithful Abraham, and to live by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't care what our eyes see. The scientific method says that you've got to be able to observe it. I haven't observed heaven, but it's more real than anything they have in any science lab anywhere that they can reproduce in in a laboratory and observe. Because God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It's everything. It's the proof of it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. Though I haven't seen heaven, because God describes heaven and tells me about heaven, and because I have faith in His Word and confidence in His promises, I have the evidence. I could go to court in my, I can go to court with my conscience and go to court with my spirit and be fully convinced that heaven exists because God said it. I am fully convinced there was a flood because God said it. I am fully convinced the first two people created in this universe were Adam and Eve and God formed one from the dust of the ground and the other from the rib from the side of the man that He formed from the dust of the ground. I believe all that and I have the evidence of it because God said it. My faith believes it and has confidence in that. That's how the just live. That's how righteous men live. The second verse of Hebrews 11 says, For by it the elders obtained a good report. It doesn't say it, for by it the elders got elected. For by it the elders got justified. For by it the elders got regenerated. It doesn't say any of those things. It says they got a good report. You know, we have children that get report cards from little 2nd, 6th, 12th grade teachers. Who cares? A report card from God that puts you in the hall of faith is something we should care about. And that report card is based on faith. Does that person live by faith? When something good happens in their lives, they know it came from God, so they thank Him. When something is fearful in their lives, they know that God will deliver them and protect them, so they trust Him. 
They know that when something bad happens in their lives, that was planned by God for them, for His glory and their profit. They live a life of faith, and by it we obtain a good report. Abraham lived a life of faith and obtained a good report. That's why he's listed with the other elders in Hebrews chapter 11. You need to live a life of faith and obtain a good report. It's the evidence of eternal justification before the living God, so that we stand before Him, we shall be declared righteous. It's the evidence of it. And it's how we're supposed to live. And you know what it says? God rewards those that diligently seek Him with faith. Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And Abraham diligently sought God, though he never found Him in one particular place, He traveled around Canaan for 100 years in tents. Didn't worry about it. He didn't need to build himself a big city that hath foundations down here because he had a city that hath... Do you you understand all the words of the Bible were not just blown in there? You You know, when you wrote a paper in the sixth grade and when I wrote a paper in the sixth grade, we learned very early what was called snowing the teacher. That was providing a whole lot of words beyond what was necessary to fill up the page and a half that they wanted us to spend on what I did on my summer vacation or whatever. But the Lord doesn't waste words. So when He says He sought for a city that hath foundations, it's because for a hundred years He lived in a tent. A tent ain't got no foundations. We'll do better on the grammar on Wednesday evening, promise. Genesis chapter 12, we saw some promises made to him in the first three verses. And remember, you learned something, if you didn't already know it, that when it said, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed, that was God speaking to Abraham, and it was describing Jesus Christ's coming, and that he would save you. That is what that means. How do we know that? From Galatians chapter 3. God told Abraham about you. Abraham... Through you, because you're going to give birth to, you're going to have Isaac through Sarah. Isaac's going to have Jacob, and it's going to come down to the Lord Jesus Christ, and Gentiles are going to be saved by Jesus Christ, your seed. You're going to be a blessing to Americans in 2010 in Greenville, South Carolina, meeting in the Church of Greenville. And here we are. That is how I believe the Bible. That is how Galatians 3 explains it to us, and we should take it as personally as we possibly can. It was written from God to you. In chapter 12, we saw him worshiping at Bethel. In in verse 10, there's a famine in the land. And the famine was so bad, it drove Abram to Egypt. Now, if God has called you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and you've obeyed him for 500 miles, don't you think that at least there ought to be some blessing in your life that you're making ends meet? Instead, he's starving, and he's got to go down to the paganism of Egypt in order to get some food. Are you still going to believe him? I just want you to see it. His faith is tried in verse 10. His faith is tried, and in the following verses, his faith is weak. Because he tells Pharaoh that Sarah, a partial truth, is his sister, not his wife. Because he doesn't want to be killed for her sake. So his faith is weak. But even with weak faith... God stopped Pharaoh from touching his wife. And God caused Pharaoh to give him, you should list, you should read the list of all he got for that little transaction. Verse 16, he, that is Pharaoh, entreated, begged, spoke kindly with Abraham well for her sake, flattered him, 
And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. Abraham went up out of Egypt, a far richer man than when he went into Egypt, even though in this particular instance he had weak faith. That does not give us leave for weak faith. It just comforts us for weak faith. And so we come out of chapter 12. Pharaoh was stopped from hurting him and he was blessed. He worships God again in chapter 13. I, I hope that you would read these chapters, 12 through 24, and be familiar with a mental timeline of Abraham's life that the Jews would have had. Because when you come to Romans, and he says, did this happen when Abraham was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? And repeats it over and over. You're supposed to know that from these chapters. But I want you to know a whole lot more than Paul needed you to know because I want you to know enough to be able to overthrow Arminianism in your mind and when you deal with them. Abraham was not worshiping a false god and God sent some preacher to him to tell him to believe in order to be saved. Abraham had been saved for years. He had been saved from eternity in the eternal phase of salvation He was justified at the cross, which was from eternity, in God's purpose. He was regenerated to have a new heart that was different from those around him. It's just an example of faith in his life by which he got a good report. What was the good report in 15.6? He is a righteous man. He counted it to him for righteousness. That's what we want to learn from these examples and, and events in his life. He worships God again in chapter 13, verse 4. Abraham went unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. The reason I'm pointing out these verses, we haven't got to chapter 15 yet. I want you to remember always, and you should write it in your Bible, if you have a weak memory when it comes to Bible verses, that when it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, is chapter 15 and verse 6. But Abraham is believing God a long time before that, and he's proving that faith in God by his good works and calling upon the name of the Lord. There was no change in heaven, nor was there any change in Abraham when he believed God's promise in 15.6. God could just make a declaration of him in one little verse. There's no elaboration on it that this proved Abraham to be a righteous man, along with all the other things that proved him to be a righteous man. In fact, James is going to come out and say, Genesis 15 didn't really prove Abraham to be a righteous man at all. James says that. James says Abraham wasn't proven to be a righteous man until God wanted to cut his, son's, cut his 16-year-old son's throat on an altar and burn him as a burnt sacrifice. Then he showed that he was real. That's James 2, 23 through 26. And I hope I'm repeating this enough times that you are all getting very comfortable Wow, men have destroyed faith. They've turned faith into a momentary decision in order to be born again, justified and elected, when in fact it's a whole way of life to which we're supposed to add a whole lot of other things, and it doesn't elect us, justify us, or regenerate us. It just proves that we are elect, justified, and regenerated. Amen. And this is our, this is our gospel. This is our doctrine. This is why we're meeting here, and we don't just sell off our property and go meet with someone else in town. Because we hold a different doctrine of salvation. Right. Chapter 13 is about him telling Lot, Lot, we're too big to dwell together. Listen, you pick the property you want. I know you're my little snotty-nosed nephew, 
but you go ahead and pick the property you want. I know that we're here in Canaan because of me. I mean, you know that we're here because God's with me and that God is my God and I'm the friend of God. He didn't say any of that. I'm saying all of that for you to think about it. Lot, you go ahead and pick the property that you want. And Lot picked the well-watered plains of Jordan. because And there's where Sodom and Gomorrah. And he pinched, pitched his tent toward Sodom. Look at the gracious godliness of this man named Abraham. He trusted God. And he said, Lot, look at the graciousness. Did you get a proverb recently that, that said, He that loveth, pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Amen. Here's Abraham showing his graciousness. Lot, you go ahead and pick. I'll take the leftovers. Abraham did that in faith toward God and in affection toward his nephew. As soon as Lot chose the well-watered plains of Jordan, the Lord said, Abraham, look north, look east. This is all in chapter 13. Look north, look south, look east, look west. I'm going to give it to you, all of it to you. And do you know what it included? <laughs> Lot's property. Lot wasn't there long. Neither was the city of Sodom. Neither was the city of Gomorrah. Neither were the other cities of the plain. The place was opened up. And Abraham's seed came in and took it, possessed it, and milked it dry. And then they were torn off it. For, and that's a whole other lesson about God's land. You've heard it all before, but it's here in, in Genesis chapter 13. Look at the promises that God is giving Abraham before he gets to 15. 15, 6 is not a condition that Abraham has to fulfill in order to get promises. God's just laying out these promises. God has already promised eternal life before the world began. Titus 1, 2. There are elect angels that are in no danger, nor can they ever fall. Because God elected them, and the Bible calls them elect angels. It's not me calling them elect angels. And there are men that God has put in the book of life and promised eternal life to by a covenant in Himself before the world began. All we do is come along and believe it and gain assurance by that fact. And the declaration of the Bible, which God put in writing, is that you are righteous. When you believe the promises of God, you don't become righteous. You are righteous. Only a righteous man would believe it. Only an elect, justified, regenerated man would ever believe the testimony that God has given of His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 18 of chapter 13. Abraham removed his tent. Notice, he's a sojourner. And came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. This man loved to worship God, didn't he? He built an altar. He built an altar. He built an altar, and he called upon the name of the Lord. We don't build altars of stone. You can build an altar by sitting down with your family, opening the Bible and reading. You can build an altar in your closet by going into your closet, getting down on your knees, and telling the God of heaven that you love Him, and that you thank Him for every good thing He's done for you, and will He give you His Spirit to lead you in a more pleasing life. You have built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. Let's be like Abraham and do it. Chapter 14. In chapter 14, four kings come and take on the five kings of the cities where Lot lived. And the four kings defeated the five kings and took Lot and his wife and his children and all that he had captive. Abraham is full of faith in chapter 14. He arms his 318 trained servants, pursues the four kings along with a couple of friends of his from the land of Canaan. They overtake the four kings defeat the four kings, and bring back every single thing. He's a man of faith. It takes faith. 
you want to talk about a dire situation when you have four successful kings that you take on with 318 trained servants who are used to pruning, picking, weeding, harvesting. But he won the victory. And notice what it said about him when he came back and Melchizedek came forth. Who was Melchizedek? Verse 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, that's a shortened version of Jerusalem, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. They had a little communion service there, of common union between the two of them. And he, that is Melchizedek, blessed him and said, Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. See, here's a man who's tithing. Here's a man who's tithing in the Old Testament. He gave a tenth of all the spoil that he was able to recover. Now, wasn't it his in the first place? But the Lord blessed him to get it back. So he gave a tenth of it to the Lord. A tithe is a tenth. There's Abraham doing that with Melchizedek. Did he do that by faith? Of course he did. Did he do that out of love toward God? Of course he did. Did he do that out of thankfulness toward God? Of course he did. Did he fear the God of heaven? Of course he did. Did Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, bless him with a blessing of a justified, righteous, godly, just man? Indeed. Brother... Brethren, we are walking down a road right now about the doctrine of justification that is found in very, 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 very few places. The the Jews wouldn't allow it to be anything like this because you had to keep the law of Moses or be circumcised to be saved. The Roman Catholic Church won't allow it to be like this because you need to keep the seven sacraments of Rome in order to be saved. The, The Protestant churches that came out of the Roman Catholic Church believe things like infant baptism in order for you to be born again, they don't believe it. The Arminians don't believe it because you've got to make a decision for Jesus or invite Him into your heart in order to be justified. This is not what the Bible teaches and we're going down a road and I'm trying to show you that Abraham was already a justified man before he gets to Genesis 15:6, which is the expression used by Paul in Romans 4, Galatians 3, and James in James 2. We're not even there yet. He's obviously already a godly, just, righteous Noble, virtuous, lover of God. And Melchizedek says so. And he blessed him. Would he bless an unjustified, reprobate, unregenerate child of hell? They had communion together. Do you know where this comes into the New Testament? I have a whole timeline drawn up here. I don't know what I'm going to send you. I have a timeline. I've wanted a timeline. Hebrews chapter 7 goes over this event in more detail than is right here. It explains some of these words to us, like what Melchizedek means. It describes the tithe. It tells us what the tithe means. It tells us the importance of the blessing. For Melchizedek to bless Abram means that Melchizedek was greater than Abram. And Paul wants you to know that in Hebrews chapter 7. I don't have time. I'm not going to take you there. But if you want to know the Bible, I'm going to give you a timeline. I've got it here. Event. Genesis account of it, New Testament account of it, and then an explanation of what that New Testament account is telling us about this little event in Abraham's life. Right here is a big event. That there is a great, there's a priest greater than Abraham, the father of the Jews' religion. Do you know where Levi came from? The Bible said Levi came out of the loins 
of Abraham. Do you know what Paul argues in Hebrews chapter 7? Levi, the greatest of the, the father of all the priests of Israel and the Levites. Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. This is, this is Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 says, Levi in Israel receives tithes of the people. The people give 10% to all the Levites and the priests, and they live on that. But when we go back and we read the Old Testament about Abraham, we find out that Levi, who was in the loins of Abraham, this is the wording, paid tithes to Melchizedek, showing that Melchizedek was a superior priest to anyone that came out of the tribe of Levi. That is powerful. But you know, you don't really understand it unless you've read the life of Abraham. And all we have here is a couple little verses. And then you go to Hebrews chapter 7 and Paul just opens it up beautifully for us. This is all in the life of Abraham. A couple little verses showing that there was a priesthood far greater than the Levitical priesthood. And do you know who was made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't even come from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah. And that is all in Hebrews chapter 7. Because Paul said, there's nowhere in the law of Moses that said a man from Judah can be a priest. Therefore, if a man from Judah is a priest, the law has been overthrown. There's a new law made forever, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's all right there in those couple of words. Genesis chapter 14. Now we come to 15. After these things, verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision. Saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He hadn't been afraid. He took on four kings that came with an army 500 miles and defeated them with 318 trained servants. But God's encouraging him. Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield. Melchizedek had already told him who got the victory. It wasn't the 318 farmhands. It was the Lord God of heaven. And here the Lord is saying it to him. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Lord, I'd really like a son. And Abram said, behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Your seed is going to be as numerous as the stars in heaven. Abram. And look at verse 6. This is the, this is the verse. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Then the Lord goes on to say, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he goes on and describes a little serv- a little worship service, a little ceremonial service that they're going to have there. And he gives him some promises about his seed is going to go down into Egypt. They're going to be sojourners and they're going to go into Egypt for a total of 400 years. This verse is going to come back to us on Wednesday evening. Because they slide commas around in all the new versions of the Bible and alter the verse... 13 of Deuteronomy, 
of Genesis chapter 15. They alter it and destroy the sense of that verse. But we'll get that on Wednesday evening. Here's God's promise. Then God promises other things. But I want to focus on that sixth verse. Look at how small it is. Look at that there's no elaboration on it before or after. It, and look at that it's just about Abram, you're asking me for a son. I'm going to give you a seed, and your seed is going to be more numerous than the stars in heaven. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. It's that little phrase quoted in Romans 4, Galatians 3, and James 2. That phrase in this setting, years after Abraham had already showed he was full of faith. Hebrews 11 said that he left Ur by faith. We can see that he fought a great battle by faith. He's building altars and calling upon the name of the Lord. It's just that the Lord picked out this event by His providential, infinite wisdom in the way He wrote the Bible. Abraham didn't change at this moment. Abraham standing in heaven didn't change. God just made a declaration of him. He's a righteous man. God counted that act of faith in believing an impossible statement from God as proof that he was a righteous man. He counted it to him for righteousness. God, call, God brings all sorts of things into our lives to see if we'll believe him that he's going to take care of us and fulfill his promises toward us. And when we trust him in the face of adversity or difficulty or a promise that looks like it's going to be hard to fulfill, it's counted to us for righteousness. We obtain a good report like Abraham and the other elders of Israel did. There it is. That verse right there is what the Apostle Paul appeals to as the basis of justification. But we can see and understand from the whole Bible that Abraham was already an elect, justified, regenerated man before he got to the 15th chapter. I'm not asking you to all be seminary professors, but I am asking you that when you think about Abraham, you'll remember he starts in 12 and 13, and 14, and it's not till 15, and it's one little verse, and it's just one event. And it's a rather insignificant event. It truly is. Abraham believed a lot of other things God told him. But it's the one that God wrote the words by Moses, and He counted it to him for righteousness. Because God put the words attached to this event, He counted it to him for righteousness, even though all the others He counted to him for righteousness as well. But because he wrote it here, Paul brings it forward by the Holy Spirit to Romans 4, to Galatians 3, to James 2, to prove that it wasn't by the works of the law and that it wasn't by circumcision because circumcision doesn't occur until 17. You say, well, what kind of faith did he have that God would say that he was righteous? Well, he has faith like this. That in chapter 16, he listens to his wife to go into Hagar and create the seed and help God along. Have you ever done anything like that? Any of you ever made your route to the truth through the Arminian churches? Where you think that you can populate heaven by your efforts? Have we ever done that? Indeed, we have. So we're still fitting Abraham. Because that's what chapter 16 is all about. The weak faith of Abraham in obeying his wife and going in and taking Hagar and having Ishmael because of her. We'll pass over that and come to chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 1. The Lord laid on my heart a number of weeks ago, and I preached it to you when the Lord laid it on my heart. I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. 
God changes His name in the first eight verses? Because He said, I have made thee a father of many nations. Then in verses 9 through 27, He introduces circumcision. This is where circumcision comes in. And this is why in Romans 4, Paul is going to say, was Abraham declared to be righteous in circumcision, meaning after he was circumcised, or in uncircumcision, before he was circumcised? When did God declare him righteous? And see, we know. And every Jew would have known. So the question marks, the repeat question marks, of the rhetorical questions written to a Jewish audience or a Jewish thinking audience, they would have automatically known the answers. And because we're reviewing these chapters, you should know the answers. Ah! God said He was righteous in chapter 15. He wasn't circumcised until 17. And it says that He was 99 years old. Verse 24. He was 99. He married Hagar when He was 85. It's been 14, 15 years or longer since chapter 15. Therefore, God's declaration of Abraham being righteous had nothing to do with circumcision. We'll be able to cruise through Romans 4 if you're paying attention now. See, they all knew this. And most of you know this. But I want to make sure all of us know it. And I want to make sure you understand the wisdom of God in writing the Bible. He took... their If there was one man in heaven to a Jew, who was it? Abraham. It's called Abraham's bosom. If there's one man in heaven to a Jew, it was Abraham. Did he get there with circumcision? No. God said he was righteous 15 years before he was circumcised. And Paul's going to explain where circumcision came from then in Romans 4. It was just an outward sign and seal of the righteousness of the faith that Abraham had had for years. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, you're saying, can I have faith like Abraham? Well, look at verse 15. God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be, shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her. And she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Look at his faith. Do you want to call? Look at his faith. He's begging for Ishmael. I don't want Isaac. I don't want Sarah to have a baby. It's impossible anyway. Doesn't he know that I'm a hundred? That the grasshopper was retired a long time ago? Doesn't he know that Sarah's 90? She can't bear. Lord, look at the exclamation point, how intent he was on it. Let Ishmael live before you. Do you know how gracious and merciful God is? When you come to Romans chapter 4, do you know what it says about Abraham when he heard these words? He was not weak in faith but gave glory to God. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what He had promised, He was able also to perform. Hello? God is merciful to our faith. He knows our faith is weak. 
You know, Abraham got his act together. But when he first heard it, impossible. But the Lord blots it out. How can I stand before the Lord? The Lord knows my faith is so weak. It's so weak at times. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to share this with you so that you will be excited in the mercy of the Lord. If we go on a few more pages, Sarah laughs. Do you know what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 about Sarah? Through faith, through faith, Sarah also herself received strength to conceive seed. Hello? Has the author of Hebrews 11 ever read Romans? I mean Genesis? Has the author of Romans ever read Genesis? The author and the reader is the God of heaven, and his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts, and he is abundant in pardon and mercy. Praise the Lord. There is so much good stuff in these chapters. If you'll slow down and read it, to understand what is being said. To look at Abraham laughing. And look at him begging for Ishmael. Verse 19, God responds to that exclamation point by saying, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed. You're not believing it. You're basically mocking it. She shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard thee. I'll bless him. But my covenant's going to be with Isaac. And Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Joseph, who was husband to her that was Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. Matthew 1, Luke 3, two genealogies. Jesus was the son of Abraham, biologically and legally. Two different ways. That's all chapter 15 and 16 and 17. We come to... Genesis chapter 18, the Lord comes to meet him. He entertains him. This is where Sarah laughs. Sarah is fixing a meal for them. She laughs. The Lord says, why would Sarah laugh? I didn't laugh. Is that in 18? Okay, let me quote the New Testament again to you. Through faith, Sarah also herself received strength to conceive seed. I love the God of heaven. He perfects that which is lacking in our faith. Do you think Sarah had a few confessions to make? She didn't have a period stop. She didn't have a period. She just got pregnant. And she carried a baby. Do you know what the blessed God of heaven takes about that woman from that chapter? Do you know what she said when she was laughing at God? How in the world, at my age, can I ever do something like this with my Lord? Small L-O-R-D, meaning Abraham. Did the blessed God of heaven take that act of the imperfect woman from Genesis 18 and put it in 1 Peter chapter 3 and call her a holy woman and a perfect example of a wife? His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. Are there any psalms that repeat it more than I have? His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. Your faith is so imperfect, your faith will never get you to heaven. Your faith is imperfect. But even imperfect faith is the evidence of what God has done for us, which will get us to heaven 
through the seed of Abraham, and it's not Ishmael, it's through Isaac, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And by His blood, He is able to wash away some of that imperfection and give us a record of Abraham and Sarah of great faith, even though we can read back here, it wasn't always great. Because you're wondering when you stand before Him, and He says, do you believe that my son, do you believe that this is my son? You say, well, I've had weak faith. I want you to see the example that God gives and how He views our faith. Did Abraham step out of Ur of the Chaldees? Did he cross the Euphrates? Did he come into the land of Canaan? Yes, he did. All those things are true. Chapter 19 is all about Lot and what a difference there is. Is Lot in heaven at this hour? Is, Is Lot with Abraham in heaven? Yes, they are both there. Was there a difference in the level of conversion between the two men? Greatly. God said of Abraham, I know him, that he will command his household to keep the way of the Lord after him. What about Lot? He pitched his tent towards Sodom. Was there anyone in his house that kept the way of the Lord? No one. Abraham quit negotiating for the city of Sodom because he thought he had it covered when he asked for ten righteous souls. He thought that he had Lot, Lot's wife, Lot's two daughters still at home, and the three daughters that were married. Ten souls. He thought he had saved the city. But he he overestimated Lot's fathering job. None of them believed him. None of them believed the angels. None of them were righteous or virtuous. And Lot was vexed every day. What a a chapter. A sordid chapter. Genesis 19 in the Bible. It shows the difference between two of God's elect. People wonder about when we talk about conversion being a separate phase of salvation. If it's your righteousness that helps get you to heaven, or even the works that back up your faith, where in the world should Lot be? But it's washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He made a mess of his life. We use him as an example of how not to live, and we use Abraham as an example of how we ought to live. We come to 21. I mean, Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 20. Weak faith again with Abimelech, king of the Philistines. He, he wants, he tells King Abimelech that Sarah is his sister again. And then he intercedes for Abimelech. His prayers are heard even though he had weak faith. And God has mercy on Abimelech through the intercession of Abraham. Come to chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. I want every single word of the Bible is important. Genesis 21.1 And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. What she laughed about and said, how in the world could it be possible? He did it. And the Lord wants you to remember that he did it. In the first verse of chapter 21. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. It happened exactly. Gestation period was right on track with everything God had said. God is in charge of all those events. Your whole being is because of God is in charge of conception, gestation, and delivery, and formation. And the fact that you have a body and the character traits of that body and your entire book of DNA was written by God before the world began and brought out in time. Psalm 139 speaks about it, that every member of what you're going to look like and the abilities and lack of abilities you're going to have was all laid out by God in His book about you and brought to pass in time. So it was here. They cast out Ishmael. In this chapter, and, and his mother Hagar, because at the weaning of Isaac at the age of five, Ishmael was mocking him. Sarah saw it, 
told Abraham, God told Abraham, agree, Sarah has said something right. The son of this bondwoman shall not be son with my son, shall not be heir with my son. And God told Abraham, you, you follow Sarah and what she said and throw them out. I'll take care of them, don't worry about them. And God took care of them. And you know, you can go to Galatians chapter 4, and I've already mentioned it today, and see an allegory drawn from that very fact right there. That one woman and son was thrown out, and that was the Jews of Paul's day that were worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem and had rejected Christ. But the poor, despised Christians that were thrown out of the temple and could no longer worship in the synagogues because they were following Jesus, Paul said, you are the children of the free woman. And you are inhabitants and worshipers in the Jerusalem which is above, which is the mother of us all. Galatians chapter 4, writing to Jews and Gentiles. Chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 is God telling Abraham he wants him to offer Isaac as a burnt sacrifice. And you know the story well. When it was over, God had this to say about him. Now remember, in 15.6, we had one little phrase. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now Abraham does something far more significant in chapter 22. He raises his knife to slay his son on an altar and burn him as a sacrifice to God. Hebrews 11 tells us what he was thinking. Hebrews 11 was saying, even if I bring my knife down and kill Isaac... I know that God can raise him from the dead. I believe that this is the promised seed. And even if I kill him, God's going to bring him back to life. That is some pretty enormous faith. So if you've thought that I've been picking on Abraham, right now, this is impressive. And the angel called out of heaven to Abram and said, Now I know that you fear me. But I want to get a few more verses here. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord, this is a great promise that's about to come up. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies." And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Here the Lord confirms promises he's already given them. But now I know that you fear me, and because you've done this great work, which confirms your faith, all these promises are true to you. They didn't come into origin here. These are, these, this is just a restatement of promises that had already been given to him. You can read about them all the way back to chapter 12. This is a restatement. Because Abraham was proving that he was God's man, that he was righteous, and he was confirming and proving that his faith was legitimate by works bearing it out. James would come along in James 2 and put it this way. Was not the statement of Genesis, I'm I'm paraphrasing it, was not the statement made about Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, 
really fulfilled in Genesis 22 when Abraham did something to prove that the faith of chapter 15 was legitimate, sincere, valid, and real. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Those are James' words from James chapter 2 as he compares those two events, 22 being more valid than 15 because 15 was just Abraham believing, but 22 was Abraham willing to do something and attempting to do something very costly to him. And so James explains it, and he starts out asking, Can faith save him? If a man say he hath faith and have not works, is that sufficient evidence of salvation? No. One man with faith will say, I have faith and thou hast works. But the man with works will say, well, thou hast faith without works. Do you want to see my faith with works? I'll prove my faith by my works. And we get that out of Genesis 22. The status of Abraham didn't change on earth or in heaven. All the promises had already been made. He already had the promised seed. Heaven was already going to be called Abraham's bosom. God's just confirming that this thing that you have done is evidence of all that I'm going to do through you and to you because you're a righteous man. Who arranged all the circumstances of Genesis 22? The God of heaven did. It said God tempted him. God gave him a trial that he knew he would pass. He gave Adam a trial that he knew he wouldn't pass. And how do we know we're justified? We believe the promises of God. And then when God tells us to do something, we go and do it. In between, we may have weak faith and say that our wife is really our sister. In between, we may laugh and say that's impossible. It'll never happen. And God brings it to pass anyway because he is merciful. Yes. Chapter, that's chapter 22. Sarah dies in chapter 23. She's 127 years old. Abraham is 137 years old. He buys his little piece of property for a family burial plot and buries her. Genesis chapter 24. He sends his servant. This is a man that fears God. And I want to mention this before we close. The man who's called the father of the faithful, the man who's called the friend of God, this man that God walked with, and this this man that called upon the name of the Lord in various places, he would not even think about his son marrying a daughter of Canaan. He told his his servant, the lead servant in his household, verse 2, you put your hand under my thigh, and I'm going to make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. I don't care that God has brought me on this circuitous route into Canaan and that all of our neighbors are Canaanites. I couldn't care less. Don't you dare let Isaac, my son, marry one of these women. You go all the way back to Haran, or called, also called Paden Aram, and you get me a God-fearing wife for my son. And you know the whole story about Rebekah. He went and got a God-fearing wife for his son. That poor servant got all the way to the place that he was supposed to get to, stops the well and says, Lord, send out someone and may she water my camels along with me. And out comes Rebecca, beautiful to look upon, a virgin perfect, fears God. She runs to pull her five-gallon pail up 40 times to feed camels, to give water to camels and to take care of Abraham. She, wonderful story. But notice what it started with. 18, 19, I know him, God said. He will command his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And the way of the Lord is that the righteous marry the righteous. The sons of God marry the sons of God. And we let the daughters of the devil marry the daughters and sons of the devil. 
We marry those that fear God and love Him and have an independent fear of God like the family had back in Paden Aram. And that's chapter 24. Chapter 25 tells us in the first six verses that when God restores something, and if you need restoration in your family, if you need restoration in the marriage, and I'm not preaching like Joel Osteen. I ain't, I ain't preaching some social, social gospel to you. I, I give you the life of Abraham. If you need restoration of something, when God restores, He restores. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. They were both reproductively dead and it wasn't a questionable matter. They had Isaac. Sarah lived another 37 years. Abraham lived another 37 years, then Sarah died. Abraham was so fully restored, he married Keturah and had six more sons, and they're named in the first six verses of Genesis chapter 25. And the hope that we should get out of that are the great blessings that come from God, that when a man doubts God, but then puts his faith in God, God will show him exceeding abundantly above what he is able to ask or think. He is able to restore. And I want you to believe that. And I'm not angry, I just want to convince you of it. Look at this man. He's fathering children. You know what Isaac's thinking? Isaac's 40 and 45 and 50 years old. Do you know what they're saying among themselves? Look at Dad. Is he ever going to (laughs) retire? And they didn't mean from Ford or GM. It was wonderful. Forgive me. I I enjoy the whole Bible. Every chapter of it. Every verse of it. But then look. Abraham's bosom. Canaan, the promised land. Is he going to get it? Is Abraham going to get to the promised land? He had to wander around for a hundred years. Verse 5, Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. But unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, those concubines are named Hagar and Keturah, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. He was taking care of his family ahead of time. He didn't want those other boys even around his son Isaac. Isaac was God's man. He wanted that son protected from the other son, so he gave them a little cash and told them, bye-bye, boys. Why don't you move 500 miles back over to where I had some ancient relatives living over there in Ur of the Chaldeans. Bye-bye, boys. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived in 103 score and 15 years, 175. Then Abraham gave up the ghost. The spirit went out of him. Without the spirit, the body is dead. And died in a good old age, I would say so. An old man and full of years. But you know what it says that about David at 70 as well. And was gathered to his people. Praise the Lord. He was gathered to his people. He went to a family reunion. He went and met Noah. He went and saw Enoch and Seth. And the others that we know are righteous. That were there in heaven. He was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah. In the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, which is before Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth, there was Abraham buried and Sarah his wife. They had a family cemetery plot, husband and wife. Isaac was buried there with Rebekah. Jacob was buried there beside Leah. And Joseph said, when God keeps his promises and brings you all out of this land, you take my bones These embalmers are going to do a decent job on me. Not important, but take my bones and carry them into the land of Canaan and put me in that family cemetery. And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph were buried there with three of the wives. And they went to Abraham's bosom in their spirits. 
The ghost left his body. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be present with the Lord is to be present with the spirits of just men made perfect. To be present with the Lord is to be with your saved family members. Abraham reached the promised land, and he knew that it was heaven. He never put his stock in the little land of Israel that he wandered around in for a hundred years. He was looking for a heavenly country, and he found that heavenly country. Praise the Lord. We'll come back to Romans 4 soon enough, and I hope that by a review of Abraham's life, we'll be able to understand every argument that Paul brings up in that fourth chapter. Brethren, let's build altars in our hearts, with our lips, in our minds, in our marriages, in our homes. Let's build altars and call upon the name of the Lord like Abraham did. Men, let's be fathers like Abraham was, commanding our households and keeping them. May the Lord bless us to be faithful. And when your faith is weak and you get a little fearful and you wonder if the Lord is recognizing that you do have some faith, Remember Abraham laughing and appealing for Ishmael. Remember Sarah laughing. But remember the New Testament that when it recounts both events, it says through faith Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. It says Abraham staggered not at the promise of God, but was strong in faith. His ways and thoughts are higher than ours. I want you to know this. With this I close. Psalm 103. He remembereth our frame. He knoweth that we are dust. And like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. If you fear God and put your trust in him, and if you fear God and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows your frame. He knows why your faith is weak. It's good enough for him. He'll make up the rest by his faithfulness. Amen. And amen.